Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reinald Show, we talk about when to get back into overhead pressing after rotator cuff repair. We talk about <laughs> staying current. how to stay current in the literature, especially when you're somebody that isn't seeing a lot of post-surgical people. And lastly, persistent what do you do with persistent neurogenic issues? The Ask Mike Reinald Show. Helping people feel better, move better, Perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I'm up here at Champion PT and Performance in Boston, Massachusetts. If you notice, I like alternate how I say that each time to try to get it get a little different. Sometimes we're in Boston at Champion. Sometimes we're in Champion. In Boston, but anyways, pick it up. MikeScaduto.com, Dan Pope. Oh, sorry, I just, <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a subliminal. Uh, so Mike Scaduto, he has a website called MikeScaduto.com. Dan Pope, Dave Tilly, Lenny McCrean, and we're all here. We have our our kick butt students here. Uh, first one, first one, Zach Tallyho from Regis University, which he tells me is in Denver. Skeptical. But we'll see on that one. And then Logan Genghis Klan. Look at that. He like, wants to kill us at all. Yeah. Just look on his face. <laughs> Logan's from Washington. our chairs as we What do we have for awesome questions today? Ready? Tally ho! Rick from Massachusetts. Rick Flair. An injured worker who regularly lifts 40 to 50 pounds overhead on the job has had a moderate to massive rotator cuff tear surgically repaired. Without over-jeopardizing the surgical repair, what time period or criteria do you use in determining when it is appropriate to begin introducing resisted overhead pushing motions, i.e. shoulder presses into his rehab? Even the orthopods wrestle with this question, and the literature research attempts I've made so far haven't been clear. Awesome. So, sounds like this guy wants to get back into pain-free fitness. Wow. Is that, did you guys, is is he looking for fitness pain-free? So, Dan, what do you think? So, rotator cuff repair, when do you get them back into pressing? Now, this isn't even just somebody that wants to do this recreationally. This is somebody that needs to do this for his living. What do you think? Yeah. So, I think um, I think the scary part is that, that massive rotator cuff tear, right? We all get kind of scared with that. So, I'd say you probably want to follow a bit of a protocol based on what the surgeon is okay with doing up to about, probably about three to four months is probably when you can start transitioning and start to do some more intense weightlifting type stuff. I would say early on, you probably want to strengthen the rotator cuff as much as the person can handle it. Um, I, it's kind of interesting because I've had some people with massive rotator cuff repairs that did extremely well, and some people are just super painful. So again, it's really going to depend on that individual, but you're probably going to start introducing basic things like scaption. Um, up until about eight weeks, you might be able to do a little bit of overhead press up around eight to 12, and then start to load it more and more once you hit that 12 um, week mark. I think it's 10 to 12 weeks is when you have a mature scar, so I think that's the reason why most surgeons allow you to do more at that point. But again, it's going to be very individual, and you probably want to do um, strengthening up until that point, and once they get to three or four months, that's when it becomes more specific. Um, I don't really like the idea of saying at this point the person's going to be ready because it changes a lot based on the individual, but you're probably not just going to say all of a sudden this person is ready. It's going to be a slow ramp up of increasing the volume, increasing the weights um, slowly over time. I think the biggest thing with the cuff repair, too, is you have to gradually apply load to the tissue. 
So in the early phases, like Dan said, you got to get them ready. Like you have to have, have good like thoracic mobility. You have to have good you know capsular mobility so that way you have inferior play of the glenohumeral joint. So you can elevate and not have like a pinch type thing and superior aspect with where the repair is. You have to put those together. You know, but then like think about it. I mean, you have them doing active range. You have them going up overhead. You know, once they're once they can actively do that, just gradually load it. You don't have to jump right into the you know dumbbells or a barbell. Like, and I know that's probably not this person's thing, but like start with a couple of pounds if they have to do this for a living i mean you can do scapular plane elevation with a couple of pounds and slowly build up with that like dan said though i just make sure you're covering your basics you know pretty good early so awesome logan what do we got ready we got elizabeth from arizona uh she just watched all of your podcasts this last week Watch or listen to it. Kind of curious. Netflix. Uh, watch. I see that. I see you're like in a snuggie on the couch. <laughs> Netflix binging the entire weekend. <laughs> she just binged on our video. Does she have a three person? That sounds even more. Snuggie? Like I get it if you're like doing like a cross country drive or something. But anyway, well, thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> All right, love, love the show. Again, I work as an outpatient travel physical therapist due to this, so she is traveling a lot. Good point. There we go. <laughs> I don't think it's every day, but anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, due to this, she works as a generalist in the outpatient setting. Uh, she can see anything under the sun, but the downside to being a generalist is I tend to see less orthopedic surgeries, such as ACL repairs. What advice do you give for keeping up on the latest trends with post-surgical patients when she may only see one ACL repair a year? This is a good one. I, I like this because... Uh, you're, you're a traveling therapist, so meaning you, you have no traction. You have no traction with the physicians, too. So you probably have different protocols every time you switch to a different place and different procedures, even. So that makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of people work in clinics that don't see a lot of post-op, right? So um, I think it's it's smart that you're thinking that way. I, I don't know, Len, you want to start? How, do you, how does somebody stay current? With like newer surgical procedures and rehab, what do you think? What do you uh, yeah, think? that's a, that's a tricky one. I would, you know, there's definitely the social media route of following people that you trust that are putting stuff out there that you think is valuable to you. Um, you we have that online eSeminar.com uh, thing that website that we you know, course online that we provide that has you know meniscus and ACL and total knees. So that's a good overview. Um, I think it's, it's talking with your peers too, and hopefully you have a couple people in your clinic that. Like we have all of us here that we can put ideas off of and figure out what the next step is for somebody. So, what do you, what do you guys? Anybody else have anything? Like, how do you? How do you? If you're if you're not seeing surgeries all the time, how do you stay current? Yeah, I mean, I, I had that in my last patient clinic was very mixed. So I'd feel like somebody would be like, oh, I knew a valve for this person. You walk around the corner and it's like a huge slap repair. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen one of these in like two months. So uh, I think that. What'd you do when that happened? Yeah, so I always would definitely try to take 10 minutes before the eval and just brush up real quick on like a bunch of notes that I had. But I also tried to make it a point to not only focus on what things I was seeing at the clinic, but also like you said, take a knee course that kind of covers a whole bunch of stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember I saw that like in a lecture. I can like look it up real quick. Or um, have like people around you, like you said, like mentors or people in your clinic that like, have seen more of those to try to like, hey, what would you do first day with this person? And then after you get the initial thing, go conservative and kind of spend the night looking over other stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. makes sense. I think you can pretty easily go on to something like PubMed. There's a couple really good journals out there. I, I find myself time and time again going like British Journal of Sports Medicine, JOSBT. Every once in a while they'll release like a really good paper on like Achilles ruptures or something. Read through that and I feel like I have tons of great information It's going to last me. Um, a lot of times I don't necessarily do that the day before the person comes in. I do it afterwards. Oh wow, I saw an Achilles. I need to brush up on this. Yeah. Let's look online and read through it and then I feel like I'm, I'm more or less up to date. Yeah, it makes sense. There's a bunch of resources. So it sounds like one, you know, pick some of the most popular journals to just 
you know, keep tabs on. You know, it's only once a month. There's only 10 articles. It's not that big of a deal. So probably JOSBT, Dan said you like British Journal of Sports Medicine, uh, the American Journal of Sports Medicine. I don't know if he goes right to the UK, the yeah. but <laughs> the American one is, is pretty is pretty good too. Uh, but but those are, those are the current, current concept kind of journals. I, I think you start there, right? But I would do. I think there's two other things too. It's like get something like go to go to like a seminar, like a weekend seminar, on like like recent advances in the knee or the shoulder, or do like Lenny and I's online knee program or our online shoulder program, right? And that's like your basis. And then I would actively encourage you as a traveling therapist. To try to go to one CEU course a year. Start with those like big seminars where you master the knee and the shoulder or whatever extremity you want, right? But then once a year, try to go to like you know if like you're into sports, like try to go to the sports sections uh, team concept co- conference. Is that what it stands for? TCC. It's in Vegas every year in December, so it's kind of cool anyway. But like try to go somewhere like that where you get these these mega conferences of like 15 minute updates all the time. You know, that same week in Vegas, there's a whole other one that the surgeons do, and it's the same concept. But find these courses. I think you, you, once you have your basis and you understand ACL rehab, for your example, then I think it's easy to say like, okay, let me just go to this 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 big conference and see what's new. Because you already know what to do. Now you just see what's new. Like, oh, you know, we're starting to shift more towards quad tendon graphs. Like, what does that mean? That type of thing. So I think that would be my biggest recommendation. So awesome. What do we got? Tally ho. Tim from Ithaca, New York. Hey guys, I'm currently working with a young hockey player following an L5-S1 laminectomy, currently one year post-op, who continues to have residual foot drop ankle eversion weakness. In addition to utilizing neuromobilizations, NMES, and isolated exercises, do you have any suggestions or exercises to assist with facilitation of muscles following neuropraxic lesions? Thanks for the help and love the show. Alright, so this is an interesting one. So L5-S1 surgery, well we know a few things. A young athlete Okay, that's one. And foot drop sounds significant, by the way. It doesn't sound like weakness. Foot drop, and it's been a year, so I don't know <laughs> who wants to start our, this one. Our hopes are dwindling, but it's I think it's still hope. Um, so what? Like why though? Like what? Like it's, what? Like it's, it's a it's year? Like nerves take a year or two. You know, and even more probably. But I think you get a lot, especially somebody young. I don't know how young this person is, but the first year you get some pretty significant gains and after that I would imagine they're going to slow down so I think there's still hope for this person there was that paper that just came out in JOSPT looking at indwelling uh, needling while you're stimming the muscle for an anterior tip which would be applicable applicable yeah, uh, to this perfect, so um, you know that's something you may want to look into it was, came out I don't want to date the show but it was in mid 2017 the paper came out in JOSPT so it might be something to do you got to be dry needle certified probably but you know it's something to uh, to look into. Yeah, so what, what, in your guys' experiences, like what's prognostically, does this guy have a chance, you know, a year out and he still has foot drop? That's tough, I'd say. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah I mean, I've had other cases too where, go ahead, sorry. No, enough head. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you got to shift your focus to like, like, how much can we gain versus how much can we accommodate this person? So, like, there's also, like, the foot drop right. that when you hit the heel. So, maybe this person's, like, needs to investigate accommodation for the short term to just function. And then as you continue to work, try anything or something. Absolutely. Else, don't just leave them with a foot drop. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely done that. And people do have foot drops. So, we'll just needle the area. We'll stim it. And if nothing else, I think it's good biofeedback. They right. kind of feel what's going on in that area. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a long-term change just by stimming yeah. that area. But I think it allows the athlete something. to feel a little bit better yeah. and makes that connection a bit, right. a bit better. I've had, sorry. No, it's okay. I've had some people that had, like, 
no contraction, and then we've gotten to like some trace contraction after years of nothing with some neurological problems. So That's all cool. anecdotal, but we've seen some promise. It, it sure seems like two things. One, the, the longer you wait to get it addressed, the lower your chances of this coming back does happen. So we say that all the time, that take these issues seriously neurogenically, because like if you have calf weakness for two years, you know, then you can still have the surgery and it's gonna be really hard to get that, that functioning again. So then two, and then the chronicity of your symptoms after the surgery, you know, again, it's just, it's, you know, your, your prognosis probably gets worse and worse every day. So you're doing the right stuff, you know, neuromuscular stim, biofeedback, you know, you can do the dry needling based neuromuscular stim, those types of things. And like Dave said, it's probably time to start accommodating if you haven't yet. But unfortunately, I think it's a chronicity thing. So what's the lesson, I guess, here is, you know, as advocates and healthcare people, when we start seeing these people non-operatively before surgery, we have to take these nerve injuries serious because the longer we wait, the harder it is sometimes. Make sense? Is that three or two? That's three. That's three? Awesome. Thanks so much. Another great episode. Some good questions again. You guys are doing a good job. Some really insightful stuff. So appreciate it. Uh, head to MikeRinal.com. Click on that podcast link. Keep asking us questions. Bunch of, bunch of questions. Whatever you guys want to talk about, we'll answer anything. But please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRinal.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.